What a lot of people don't realize is when you are told you have osteoporosis, it does not automatically mean right now you are actively losing bone. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. Hey everyone, you're in for a treat today. My guest today is Kevin Ellis, better known as The Bone Coach. He's a certified integrative nutrition health coach, podcaster, YouTuber, bone health advocate, and the founder of bonecoach.com. After an osteoporosis diagnosis in his early 30s, he realized just how challenging it can be for the average person to make sense of what needs to be done to improve and how to move forward confidently with a stronger bones plan. Today, not only has he transformed his own health and made continued progress on his own journey, he's now dedicated his life to helping women and men with osteopenia and osteoporosis gain clarity and confidence that improving is possible. Through a unique three-step process and a world-class coaching program, Kevin and his team of credentialed experts have helped people in over 1,500 countries around the world get confident in their Stronger Bones plan. And his mission is not only to help over 1 million people around the globe build Stronger Bones, it's to help our children and grandchildren have the education, resources, and nourishment needed to prevent osteoporosis and other diseases in the future so they can lead long, active lives. And I have to honestly admit, I've known Kevin Ellis for a little while. I'm actually, in full disclosure, one of his credentials experts that helps with the Bone Coach program. I happen to be the expert in the functional nutrition and medicine lab testing arena, and I train all of his participants on how to understand and read labs. So in full disclosure, I have a financial relationship with Bone Coach, but I want to be real about my own experience. So you know that uh, the reason why I got involved with Kevin Ellis is much like Kevin, I had an early diagnosis of osteopenia in my early 30s in my femur when I had been diagnosed with colitis and then subsequently with celiac disease, I had a bone density test done. And for me, the reason why I was doing it is I was already involved in the functional medicine sort of arena and I was back in school for functional nutrition and I really wanted to get my baseline. I had been a power lifter and a triathlete, and I lifted very heavy weights a lot. And so I thought at that time in my head, heck, I'm going to go get my bone density done and get my baseline. So when I move forward and I'm 50 years old, I'll know where I started. And I was shocked and appalled that I already had osteopenia in my uh, right femur. And so at that point, that really also led me on a journey of trying to understand all of the metabolic effects of these digestive disorders. So when I met Kevin and found out what he was doing, I wanted to be a part of it because I wanted to be helping women that and men that were already in that diagnosis, but hopefully doing something proactive to help people from getting there. So please, please welcome Kevin Ellis. And we're going to talk a lot about osteoporosis and osteopenia. 
and probably a lot of things that you don't know. All right, everybody. Welcome to this functional life. Welcome, Kevin. I'm so excited to talk to you. And this is going to be a fun conversation about osteoporosis and osteopenia. Before I get started and start asking a lot of questions and we start rapping about bone density, tell your story because I'm sure some people are probably like, why is this handsome young man up here talking about bone density? I totally get that. Like, so first, thanks for having me. Uh, but second, a lot of people are really surprised when they found out that I was told I had osteoporosis in my early 30s. And for me, you know, my health journey started a long time ago. Uh, it actually started before I was born. So when my mom was five months pregnant with me, my father was told he had cancer. Two months after I was born, he passed away. He was 35 years old at that point in time. My entire life, I, I always had this fear that I was going to follow in his footsteps to an early grave. And you know, at a time when I was still struggling with all these other health issues in my late 20s, autoimmune disease, low energy, fatigue, hormone issues, just a whole host of other things. And on top of that, celiac disease and malabsorbing nutrients for many, many years, you know, when I was told I had osteoporosis, I thought my fate was going to be the same as my father. And I had, you know, two young kids, or actually I had a young daughter, a son on the way, and I was just devastated, absolutely scared, terrified. And I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do to actually improve my health and improve my bones. And it was through this process and this struggle of doing the reading and the research where I really came to find it's usually not the average 30-year-old male, you know, who's trying to figure out what they need to do to improve their health and improve their bones. It's usually the woman in their 50s, their 60s, uh, sometimes their 70s too, you know, that are trying to figure this out. The prescription that they're that's laid out for them is calcium, vitamin D, walking, and a bone medication. And that was kind of the same, the same for me too. Bone drugs and fracture were my future. And really there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, once I figured out what I needed to do to improve my health, my bones, I decided I was going to make that uh, career path and help other people. I became a health coach, uh, obviously put together some programs and did all that great stuff and put together bonecoach.com. So that's kind of what we do now. You know, I think it's it's so true in, in particularly this arena, the functional medicine sort of holistic health arena. The unfortunate part is most of us all come to it because of our own personal struggles or our family members' struggles. The good thing is, is we go through it so we can then therefore help others for sure. Let's make sure that all of my listeners really understand what osteopenia and osteoporosis is, because I think it's not really talked about. It's kind of this throwaway sort of diagnosis that pops in when you're a postmenopausal woman, you know, usually by shock. And so I, I want to make sure that people really get what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So osteoporosis literally means porous bone, and it's characterized by either not enough bone formation, excessive bone loss, or it's a combination of the two. And in osteoporosis, both your bone density and your bone quality are reduced, which that increases your risk of fracture. And the way you find out you have osteoporosis is through what's called a DEXA scan. That's dual energy x-ray absorptiometry. It's a painless test, kind of like an x-ray, but very low levels of radiation. You lay down on this machine, it does a scan, and the scan tells you your bone mineral density. So the actual mineral content of your bone. And then it generates a score. And the score is called a T-score. And a T-score is telling you how much your bone mass differs from the bone mass of an average healthy 30-year-old adult. So if you have a score of zero, then that's going to mean that your bone density is equal to the norm for that healthy young adult. If it's plus one, minus one, still considered normal or healthy. And then if you're minus one to minus 2.5, that indicates you have low bone mass, oftentimes called osteopenia, which is a precursor to osteoporosis. And then a T-score of negative 2.5 or lower 
indicates that you have osteoporosis. The greater that negative number is, the more severe the osteoporosis, so negative 2.6, negative 2.7, so on and so forth. Most women are going to get these scans done by the time they're in their 50s and 60s as a check in the box. The doctor is going to order them, but usually that's too late, right? So usually what I recommend is even if you're in your 30s, your 40s, or your 50s or 60s, you still haven't had one, go get one. Go get a baseline. And also, even if you knew somebody who had osteoporosis in your family too, and you may just be avoiding getting one because you don't want to know, that's probably not a good approach either. So I always recommend people go get that information so you have the objective data. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's a travesty. We could probably spend at least 40 weeks talking about what's wrong with the healthcare, particularly in the United States. But the fact that I can be on the phone with a woman who is 60 years old and hasn't even been screened for osteoporosis because somebody failed to hit the checkbox because we don't have a preventative model of medicine. But I think, you know, I think there's some caveats too to getting a DEXA scan. I know that like it depends where you're getting it done and the ability of the technician. We have a bone density scanner in our office. It is literally down to the technician and their ability to actually run that machine and do the measurements properly. So that's really important. I'm sure you see that a lot in the women that go through your program. A good percentage of time, there are also errors in positioning and interpretation in in your results. So your result may not actually be your result. It's important to make sure not only that the test is done correctly, but also that the person who is interpreting the test knows what they're doing also. So that's super important. Yeah, that's super important. I know I encourage them, especially if if it looks like it was really done well, is to make sure you use the same place, the same technician, which is often going to be sketchy in really large, large medical environments, but it's important. Now, there's also the trabecular scan. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Because nobody talks about that. Yeah. So what we just talked about was when people are diagnosed, they got a DEXA scan. That's kind of the gold standard for understanding your bone density. Bone density is only part of the picture when it comes to bone strength. Bone density tells you how much bone you have, the actual mineral content of your bone. Bone quality tells you how is that bone organized, the actual microarchitecture, the structural integrity, how is that laid out? That is bone quality. Those two things combine to create bone strength. So when you only get a DEXA scan, If that's all you had, you only have part of the picture. Now, how do you understand bone quality? There are a couple of different ways. Some of them include radiation. Uh, Usually we prefer to not use those ways. So the ways without radiation would be a trabecular bone score. This is a software that is an add-on to the DEXA. Uh, There's there's a company called Metamaps that they have this technology and they can give you a list of some of the places that actually do this in the US. Not all offices and not all DEXA scans have it and do it. Sometimes it's because of reimbursement. Uh, Sometimes it's because uh, it adds another layer of interpretation that needs to be done. Basically, what this does is it's going to tell you what your bone quality is, and that's a great measure. There's also another technology widely used in Europe, but it's still growing inside the U.S. Uh, Pardon me. It's just starting out inside the U.S. So there's only a couple locations at this point, but it's called REMS, Radio Frequency Echographic Multispectrometry Technology. And what this does is it uses an ultrasound technology to help you understand your bone density, your bone quality, and then five-year major osteoporotic fracture risk. So that's another tool that probably not too available right now, but may be available in the future. For those that might have access to either one of those secondary options, that helps to give you more data. Because I think that's the challenge is a lot of times there's not enough information given and not enough checkpoints to kind of determine 
Now that I've figured out I have a bone density problem, how do I know I'm fixing it, right? It's a long game. And that's super, super important. So what a lot of people don't realize is when you are told you have osteoporosis, it does not automatically mean right now you are actively losing bone. So that's super important. And I use the metaphor of a bucket to kind of help people understand this too. Like if you imagine you have this bucket, the bucket represents like the water within the bucket represents your bone mineral density, the measure of how much bone you have. The bucket represents your body. And imagine that bucket has a small hole in it with a really tiny leak. And over time, over years and years, that water level gets lower and lower and lower until one day you realize you have low bone density. You get that test done and you're told you have osteopenia and osteoporosis and you're shocked, right? Either you had a bunch of health issues and that's why you went and got the DEXA scan or you're eating healthy, you're working out, you're active you go and get this test done, and then you find out you have osteoporosis. And a lot of times that immediate reaction is, let me do something right now. And you may be at a point where your physician is recommending to take a bone medication before you have any other objective data. So what we have to first understand is, is your bucket still losing water? Are you actively losing bone? That's the first place we have to start. The test to help you understand that would be, it's a bone turnover marker. And it's called a serum CTX, a CT low peptide test. There's also another one called the urine NTX. Those two tests can help you understand the activity level of cells called osteoclasts that are breaking down bone. So they're going to release these collagen bone protein fragments, and that's what's being measured. And if that activity level is really high, that's going to be an indicator of active bone loss, and it can be. So super important to have that information first. And sometimes you may ask your physician for that test. And especially if it's a general physician, a general practitioner or primary care, they might not even be familiar with it. The endocrinologist might be familiar with it. Most functional medicine practitioners, Betty, I know you're familiar with this too. They're going to be familiar with those tests, but uh, you have to have that information first. You know, some of the things that get missed is if you look at other cultures. So for instance, in Asian populations, the bone measurement calculations for bone density are different because of the difference in stature. (laughs) And what I find, and I know this is true for you, is that many women that are in this situation in this program, they are small of stature. They have low BMI. They are a small person. They're petite. So they may not have ever had good bone mass to begin with. Their best at 30 years old was already in that range, you know? And so being able to determine those bone turnover markers and see if they're actually still losing or if they're in this some stability place, that makes a big difference because that gives you at least a checkpoint against which to start looking at what's really happening. I see that clinically all the time where the bone turnover markers and even the bone development markers are somewhat balanced. So it's like, okay, whoa, we're not draining the bucket rapidly at this moment. We've got some opportunity to make some changes. I think that's huge. That brings me to my next question. So many people probably have no idea what the standard protocol for osteoporosis is, and they may not realize that that's not enough. And what's the positive and negatives about what the standard treatment might be? Well, so, and so the standard treatment for most people, like if you go into your physician, you get told you have osteoporosis, they're going to recommend calcium, they're going to recommend vitamin D, they're going to tell you to go walk, and they're going to recommend a bone medication. That is woefully inadequate, right? There are more nutrients involved than calcium and vitamin D. Yes, those two are important. Calcium is the primary mineral constituent of your bones. Vitamin D is super important. It's a, it's a hormone, right? So it has many more functions than just supporting healthy bones. And walking is weight-bearing exercise. So yes, that's important, but that's not going to do it. 
than the last option we just talked about, which is medication. I'll give a brief overview of some of these that'll be proposed, but really most of the people that we work with help, they're trying to do everything they possibly can naturally first before considering that as an option. So the bone medications are kind of broken down into a couple categories, right? So there's anti-resorptives, which are focused on slowing down the activity level of cells, you know, reducing the rate of bone breakdown, basically. And then there are anabolics, and those are focused on building bone. And within anti-resorptives, you have these drugs called bisphosphonates, and they're focused on reducing the activity level of cells that break down bone. And then you have also something called the rank ligand inhibitor. So you've got like Fosamax under the bisphosphonates, you've got Prolia under the rank ligand inhibitors. Usually a lot of people don't understand that when you start taking these drugs, there are short and long-term implications with the use of them. So there are going to be side effects in a lot of cases. You know, I won't go through all the side effects here, but there's a long list of side effects that can come with some of these medications. Some people have really bad reactions to them. And then also for bisphosphonates, I'll just use Fosamax as an example because a lot of people get recommended this medication. But one of the greatest concerns with bisphosphonates is that the data about the safety and efficacy of these drugs are from patients who took them for less than five years. Okay, so that's super important also. And there are plenty of reports of adverse effects with prolonged use that are really starting to come out. And the last thing I'll point out about bisphosphonates is that there's evidence that even though bisphosphonate therapy is effective at reducing bone breakdown, longer term, that may also cause this micro crack accumulation which could ultimately lead to a loss of structural integrity and strengthen the bone. Because as you're going about your day, moving around, doing activities, your bones are accumulating these tiny little micro cracks and fractures, every single person, that's normal. And in order to build stronger, healthier bones, you have to have these cells, the osteoclasts, come in and scoop out that damaged, worn, weakened bone and fill it in right behind it with stronger, healthier bone by those bone building cells. That's a natural process for everyone. But what happens is when you reduce the activity level of those cells that break down bone, you are going to start to accumulate those micro cracks and fractures and things like that over time. And that can eventually lead to that old, damaged, worn, weakened bone being accumulated. And then there are some other drugs, you know, that focus on building bone. A lot of times when you take those medications or when you take those medications, you can only take them for a certain time period. And then you have to immediately follow it with another medication. Otherwise, you'll lose the bone that you had built up. A lot of people don't realize that when they start down that path. They're certainly not educated on that in about 15 minutes in a doctor's office. Right. And again, many times, you know, we were talking about bone mineral density and strength. You might get on it what looks like on a DEXA scan, it looks better. I've got more bricks in my scaffolding, but it's going to be more brittle and still have equivalent fracture risk. Especially when people are younger too. You really have to think about like if somebody's told they have osteoporosis in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, and they're being told that a medication is is their option. I mean, even in their 60s too, you need to evaluate that full picture. I talked about the first thing you have to do is figure out if you're still actively losing bone. The next thing you have to figure out is, okay, if I'm still actively losing bone, what is contributing to that loss? Because a lot of times it is more than just hormones. And you've got primary osteoporosis, which is typically related to that decrease in estrogen in postmenopausal women. Estrogen has a protective effect on bone. When estrogen levels decrease, as they do during menopause, that's going to cause an increase 
in the activity level of those cells that, that are breaking down bone. But then there's a whole nother cause of osteoporosis called secondary osteoporosis. That's the category I fell into. A lot of people that I see that are younger too, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s even, is where osteoporosis occurs as a result of behaviors, conditions, diseases, disorders, and medications. Okay. And most people, when they're unexpectedly diagnosed that young, they have or had a secondary cause. And we need to figure that out. And we can't just make the assumption that it's just hormones. And we chalk that up to being, you know, a postmenopausal woman. That's just not okay to do, which is what I, I hear a lot, you know, when people go to their physicians. So so you, you started bringing this up. So we're talking about active bone loss and, and absorptive issues. So I want to talk a little bit about gut health and bone health, because there's obviously a huge, huge requirement between the two. Can't have good bones if you don't have a good gut. Absolutely. So I always talk about how healthy bones are not built by what you're eating. They're built by what you're absorbing. And I know I talked about a bucket a second ago, but I'm going to use a different kind of metaphor here. If you think of our bodies and our bones as being like plants, in order to grow, they need nutrients in the right conditions, right? Most people focus so much on the nutrients the salads, the smoothies, the supplements, they fail to consider the soil. Our gut is like the soil and we absorb almost everything here. So when we take in food and supplements, we start to break that down into smaller pieces in our mouth. The food makes its way into our stomach where it's churned in this acidic mix to break it down even further. And then it makes its way to the small intestine, our soil. And this is where nutrients are broken down to their smallest form to be absorbed by us, the plants. But in order to absorb anything, you need roots in your soil. Our roots are called villi. They're these tiny little hair-like projections that cover our small intestine, and they're responsible for absorbing nutrients. They absorb those nutrients from the food you eat. They're shuttled throughout your body to heal cuts on your hand, rebuild stronger bones, grow your hair or fingernails, all those things. That job of the villi is so important that the total surface area they use to absorb nutrients is the size of a football field. How crazy is that? But if you've got poor digestion, your gut health isn't optimal. You're not going to properly break down your food. Those nutrients aren't going to be available. You're not going to have what you need to rebuild stronger bones. So you have to start with, are those nutrients making it to your soil? If you've got bloating and belching and burping, excessive gas, diarrhea after meals, or you feel like food is sitting in your stomach and stagnating for long periods of time, you could have low stomach acid, right? That's one. Age, stress, nutrient deficiencies, gut infections, all those things can contribute. And a lot of people take PPIs, proton pump inhibitors to help with that. But like most people who take PPIs, you could be suppressing what little stomach acid you do have. And you need that stomach acid to break down your food and absorb your nutrients, amino acids, calcium, magnesium, B12, iron, all those things, uh, which are super important for your bone health. And that's like one of the initial parts of that whole gut health picture. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of kind of the gateway moving into that. So along those veins, do you have any particular foods that you're like, okay, these are foods that anybody, even if maybe they don't know completely what their gut health is, so maybe they haven't had digestive stool testing and things like that. What are some things if you could throw out and go, make sure these are in your diet, what would be your top couple foods? A couple ones right off the bat. Uh, sardines, which a lot of people are like, oh my God, sardines. Don't even get me started. Don't even try them. But sardines, if you learn to love them, they'll love you right back. I promise you. Great source of protein. Go to Vital Choice. I have no affiliation with them, but go to Vital Choice. They're probably the best, some of the best seafood you can get. And get the canned sardines. And they've got these little bones inside them. Okay. And the bones have all the nutrients that you need to support your own healthy bones. So that's great. Then they've got omega-3s. 
Omega-3s help dampen inflammation. Inflammation contributes to bone loss. So you get your protein, you get your, your minerals, your nutrients, and you get some omega-3s with that too. That's fantastic. So that's number one. If you can get that, uh, like a wild sockeye salmon uh, with the bone in, and then also those sardines, those would be great. Mackerel is a good one too. Coconut oil is fantastic. Obviously one of the healthiest foods on the planet. A lot of studies that show its benefits for way more than just bone health, brain function, heart health, all that stuff. Got health too. But for bones specifically, there were a couple studies that looked at virgin coconut oil that not only helped with uh, protect against bone loss, but also helped uh, with the actual improvement of bone structure. And part of that is due to polyphenols. That's one reason. And then also, that's obviously going to help protect the body cells and tissues from damage too. And then from a gut health perspective, coconut oil is fantastic too. So you've got antimicrobial, antifungal effects. That's going to be great from a coconut oil perspective. And then another food that I really, really like, uh, which is an easier green than a lot of other ones, is arugula. Arugula, it's a leafy green, same cruciferous family of vegetables as broccoli and kale. And it's rich in potassium, vitamin C, vitamin K, and it's a green that has bioavailable calcium. Okay, so about 85 grams, three ounces or so, one of those little clam shells. That's about 200 milligrams of calcium and about three ounces of that. And the great thing about arugula, a lot of people's go-to green is spinach. And it's not to say, you know, spinach is high in something called oxalates, which are anti-nutrients. And these can bind up bone-healthy minerals like calcium and block their absorption. Arugula is not high in oxalates, right? So you can swap some of that spinach for the arugula, which is a great swap. And then one of the last foods I would talk about would be vitamin C rich foods are super, super important. Uh, just vitamin C in general, key nutrient can help again with a lot of different health issues, but for bone specifically, vitamin C helps to form blood vessels, cartilage, muscle, and even collagen and bones. Bones are made up of this collagen protein matrix upon which minerals are laid. And it's going to stimulate pro-collagen, it's going to enhance collagen synthesis, and it's going to stimulate alkaline phosphatase activity, which is a marker for bone building cell formation. That's pretty cool. Uh, and then there are some, you know, great sources, berries, citrus fruits like lemons, um, you know, kakadu plums, astrola cherries, those are all great sources. And then your vitamin C rich vegetables too. Those are some really, really great ones. There are a couple other ones that I would include there too, but that's, I think that's a good starting point. Okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I love yeah, having this conversation. For sure. But why not milk and dairy, Kevin? A lot of times milk for a lot of people is inflammatory, number one, right? So if people can't tolerate dairy products and it's an inflammatory food for them, that's not going to be helpful. That's the first one. Cultured dairy is going to be the ideal form of dairy if that's even part of your dietary approach if you can actually even tolerate it. So that's when we're talking about, you know, maybe a kefir or some kind of 24-hour yogurt or something like that, where you're not just getting the benefits of the bioavailable calcium, which is what most people are seeking out uh, dairy for, but you're also getting the benefits of, you know, the beneficial bacteria and yeast and things like that too. Cultured dairy would be the way to go, but dairy doesn't need to be the number one source in your diet, because again, you've got things like sardines, you've got things like arugula. There are other ways to bring calcium into your diet beyond just dairy. Yeah, because you know a lot of people do. It's pro-inflammatory. They may have dairy sensitivities or dairy allergy or lactose intolerance, and then they get caught thinking, "I've got to figure out how to have dairy 
And if I'm one of those people that have those problems, the calcium's not going to be even absorbed probably anyway. And so let's even just talk about absorption for a second. So a little over 30% of the calcium in dairy is going to be absorbed. Edible bones, kind of like in sardines and uh, those canned salmon like we were talking about, they they haven't been tested, but they're probably similar to that level of absorption. 40 to 60% of the calcium in cruciferous vegetables is absorbed. So that's where we get to the arugula, the bok choy, the dino kale, the lacinato kale, uh, or like a lightly steamed broccoli. That's going to have good absorption in calcium. Legumes are going to be, you know, obviously you want to properly prepare something like that if that's even part of your dietary approach, but calcium absorption is going to be less in those. And then when you get to things like rhubarb and spinach, even if you're, let's say in the grocery store and you're looking at a container of spinach and you see, wow, it has really high levels of calcium, that calcium is not absorbable. It's not bioavailable to you. So you can't count that toward your daily intake. So just super important to be aware of some of those things. Absolutely. So I want to I want to pick your brain a little bit and point out to people because a lot of women they get an osteoporosis diagnosis and they get told to go walk and that may be part of their exercise fitness, but they often think I need you to go do aerobics, you know, some sort of aerobic exercise. And what would you tell the average woman who may be osteopenic or osteoporotic? Like what should they really be doing? Number one, let's just say you should be exercising, right? That's the first thing we should say. Exercise, super important role in bone health. If you want to build bone strength, you need to exercise. If you want to prevent more bone loss, you need to exercise. And there are really two different types of stimuli that we're looking for when it comes to exercise. There's muscle pulling on bone, right? So we have a mechanical signal sending a chemical signal that's telling the bone to become stronger. And then we have impact. The most effective interventions are going to use a combination of one or both of those. So what type of exercise does that include? So we already heard like when you go to your doctor, they're going to tell you to go walk. So walking is weight-bearing exercise. And weight-bearing is basically any kind of exercise where your bones and your muscles are working against gravity to keep you upright and you're on your feet. Okay. So that's going to place some stress on your bones. You have high impact weight-bearing exercises. So you're running, you're jogging, you're hiking. Some of those things, that's going to provide some impact. Uh, maybe things like soccer, where it's a multi-directional you know, movement. And then you have low impact things. That would be like a yoga or Pilates or a Tai Chi or something like that. And then here's the really important one here. Muscle strengthening exercises. We need resistance training. Super, super important. If you want to build bone, you need to build muscle. Okay. So you have to be doing exercises there that are going to build muscle. So this is actually lifting, lifting weights, moving weights. The, usually the, the studies that show the greatest effect are in that five to 10 rep range. And some of the studies that have shown uh, some of the greatest effect in terms of actual exercises that can be done would be deadlifts. Those are great exercises. Dr. Belinda Beck, she actually has done some work with something called the Lift More. They've showed that overhead presses, uh, squats, chin-ups with drop landings. Those are all safe and effective for the people that were were in their studies. There are some important considerations and adjustments that you might make if somebody has osteoporosis. But if we're talking about prevention too, these things have to be a part of your plan, right? So what I want to encourage people to do is if running is all you're doing, that's not going to be enough. You need to have a varied impact. If you're running along in the same direction with no multi-directional impact and you're not doing some resistance training separately, 
that's probably not going to be the best thing long-term. So we need to add some variety in there too. Yeah. I, I think so many women get nervous because you know they've been diagnosed and now they're afraid. They're, they almost feel like I, I'm guaranteed a fracture. No matter what I do, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to fall apart. So help people understand this. Is fracture guaranteed just because you have low bone density? No, it's, it's not. And this is super important because I know if you have low bone density, yes, it is important to do something. But is it usually as extreme or dramatic as it's made to seem in the physician's office? In most cases, it's not. Yes, you still should do something, but you need to get that objective information first. A lot of times, once people start getting that objective information, that's going to help calm your fears and help you really understand what's your fracture risk actually look like. If you understand what your DEXA scan is and you've got your bone density, and then you get your bone quality. Now we have another piece of data, and then we understand if we're still losing bone, okay, that's great. If we're still losing bone, that's going to reduce our bone strength. So we already know we have to address those things. And then you start, you just start picking these things off a little by a little. You address the nutrition, the stress, the sleep, the exercise, the hormone picture. And if you break all these things down and the steps that you can affect the outcome of, that then gives you the best shot of maintaining and improving your bone density. And I mean, we've worked with people that have bone density in the negative ones, bone density in the negative fives. I've seen people that are in the negative ones that have fractured multiple times. So technically osteopenia until they fractured. And then I've seen people in the negative threes that have never fractured. And a lot of that has to do with their bone quality. I always encourage people, I know what, what it feels like to be told you know, you have a low bone density and that immediate visceral reaction you have. But when you have the objective data, that's going to help you. That's going to help you understand really what, what your true picture is. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, you know, where you've seen people fracture or not. Can you share a story of maybe somebody? Because, you know, the other thing I know is often people get told your bone density is where it is. We're going to give you a medication to hopefully halt it. But you can't really reverse this. You're kind of stuck. And we know through Bone Coach, that's not true, right? Can you share a little bit of that story? You can absolutely improve your bone density and your bone strength. Before I even get into actual talking about some of the women and things like that that we've worked with, I would just say a lot of people, when they get told they have osteoporosis, they think that reversal is the thing that they want to focus on. That can be really misleading for a lot of people. Because of errors in positioning and interpretation, uh, sometimes fractures can increase your bone density. Sometimes there could be other reasons why. So I wouldn't necessarily focus on the reversal of osteoporosis. I would focus on building bone strength. We have absolutely had people that have you know come through and they've maybe they had root cause issues of bone loss that they figured out and addressed. Some of them maybe they started hormone therapy or something like that. They got the right exercise plan in place. They did some great things with nutrition and they were actually able to make meaningful improvements or see an improvement in their bone density and their bone strength. That is absolutely possible. In terms of how much of an improvement someone can make in a given time period, a lot of times it's less than what a person thinks is actually possible. And a lot of times you have to manage the expectation of someone. And number one, you know, I never make a guarantee because you just don't know what can happen with someone's bone density. But if someone has a three to 5% improvement in a year, that's pretty amazing. Sometimes people have a greater expectation that might not be physiologically possible for them even at that point, especially if they're still losing bone. And we've had plenty of people come through, figure out root causes, address those things, get the right plan in place, and be able to slowly make 
improvement along the way. Exactly. So tell us, what's the stronger bone plan really look like? The first thing you have to do for anyone is you have to identify and address any of those contributing factors to bone loss. Figure out if there's a hole in your bucket, address the holes. That's the starting point for everyone. So what does that look like? Well, you need to understand the testing that you need. So work with a functional medicine, work with somebody like Betty, get your testing done, figure out what root cause issues are still working against you right now. Uh, understand where your hormones stand. Get all that objective data up front that you can use to make decisions. That's the first part. The second part is then you have to nourish your body. You have to restore the raw materials and nutrients that you need for stronger, healthier bones through diet, digestion, and absorption. You have to make sure you have the right inputs to produce stronger outputs. Yes, calcium, vitamin D, those are all important, but what about vitamin K, K2, magnesium, the omega-3s, your protein, all those other nutrients too that play into that picture. You have to get the right nutrients in the right amounts. You got to be absorbing those nutrients. So addressing gut health issues, those nutrients need to make it to the cell level. The third part is you have to build strength of body. You've got to reduce your stress. You got to improve your sleep. You know, high stress, chronic stress, that's going to reduce your, your bone strength. Poor sleep, that's pretty well documented. It will reduce bone quality, right? So we have to address that one too. And then exercise, you got to move, but you got to move in a way that's actually going to help you build some muscle and bone strength too. When you address those things and you optimize those things, that's what's going to give you the best shot of improvement. That's awesome. So Kevin, do you have something you want to share with my listeners? Yeah, totally. Well, number one, I can give them a free bone healthy recipes guide if they want that. We can leave that in the show notes or something like that, a bone healthy recipes guide. But in terms of, I would just say on your journey to figuring these things out, you know, if you already have osteoporosis or if you're struggling with any of your health issues right now, I would just say, be patient with yourself, be kind. The process that you're going through to improve your health, it's never perfect. Progress is always going to be possible if you stick with it. That's probably the, the number one thing I would encourage people to do is just be kind to yourself along the way. Well, definitely. We want the guide. We'll put it in our show notes and have it there. I, I've had so much fun talking to you, Kevin. I always love talking to you. <laughs> I know. And I think I think we've shared a lot about osteoporosis and osteopenia that people may not know and, and shared a lot of good information. So what I want to encourage all of my listeners to do is check out Bone Coach. You know, even if you don't know you have bone density issues, particularly if you're a woman, the chance and the likelihood that you are at risk is fairly high as you get older. So prevention is key. Even if you're younger, it's a good time to get started. So check out bonecoach.com. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. Have a functional life. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chat with betty.com slash podcast. See you next week.
Bye-bye.